0: Hi, Drumstick. Oh, Drumstick, I think is going to be very happy. I feel confident because I'm the best player in the world.
1: And we had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake that you've ever seen. Did you do any PEDs? No. Did you do anything that they accuse you of? No. People are laughing at us all over the world. They think we're stupid, and we are. I mean, we're being led by stupid people that I needed to arm myself, that I needed to protect Reva and I, that I needed to get my gun. We the jury in the above entitled action find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder. There's massive, massive sports betting going on. We won with Poorly Educated, I love the Poorly Educated. Touchdown, only nine. I'm a very stable genius. It's time for Offside. Now here's your host, TSN informs legal analyst and Canada's favorite lawyer, Eric Macramella. He's a lawyer.
0: Hello, la la la! Welcome to the show, and welcome to listeners in Ottawa, Edmonton, and in Montreal as well as those who pick up Offside, the smash-hit show that is Offside, listened to by billions upon billions of people around the world who pick it up off their preferred podcast platform. A lot on the show today, we will talk the richest athletes of all time and which athlete earned the most amount of money last year. And that person, this is the part that is the cutest, just the cutest thing in the whole world. The highest-earning athlete on the planet last year was still beat out. By a retired athlete. I love that part of the story. As well, uh, Larry Hutcher, he's a lawyer at the law firm of Davidov, Hutcher, and Citron, or as I say, Citron. His entire law firm has been banned by James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks and the Liberty and the Rangers, uh, because they're suing uh, James Dolan. And um, they've actually gone to court over this. And I'll let you know what a judge said with respect to. Larry Hutcher, who's got season tickets, he's one of the partners of this firm, and the rest of the lawyers of that law firm being banned from Madison Square Garden because they're suing MSG and James Dolan. Also, my Donald Trump loser of the week. This week, it's going to be something a little bit different and a little bit more uh, heartfelt. Get emotional just thinking about it now. You have to stay tuned uh, for that. And I do want to start with this. Look, I have been teaching at the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa now for about 20 years, almost since I started uh, at Gowlings, where I've been my uh, entire career going on year uh, 24. I taught intellectual property for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, then sports law uh, for uh, about a decade or so. And um, the question that I get asked a lot is, hey, you know, should I go to this law firm? It's a high-powered law firm. I've been offered a job. And, you know, where should I go? Uh, These students ask you these questions, and and they want to know what represents the best opportunity for them. And I always tell them the same thing. Don't go to the law firm that's going to pay you the most amount of money. Don't go to the law firm that seems to be high powered and entirely sexy and, and line with what you see in the movies. Don't go to the law firm that you believe people will be impressed that you work there. All right. They're going to say, oh, you're so impressed you work at that law firm. That's not how you should choose your employer. The way you should choose your employer is who's the best employer, who's going to treat you well. Who's going to mentor you? Who's going to help you grow? It's not about the money. It's about the people. Because a mistake that so many people so often make is they end up going to work at an employer because they're being paid the most amount of money. Ultimately, if you want to have any level of long-term success in your career, you've got to go to a place, particularly when you're starting, that will treat you well, that will help you grow and mentor you and ultimately create a context that is going to position you for success. It's not about the money. It's about the people and it's about the company. It's about that business. You don't go to the highest paying job. So when Derek Carr signed his four-year deal with the New Orleans Saints, to me it made perfect sense. It was about what the Saints had to offer and it was also a reaction to what the Raiders never offered. It was also a reaction to what the Jets were about and what they could offer him. Derek Carr has been an NFL quarterback for nine seasons. And during those nine seasons, uh, he quarterbacked what was a highly dysfunctional football team. Most recently, Derek Carr has had to deal with the dysfunctional mess in Oakland and in Vegas, that is John Gruden and Mike Mayock as well as their general manager. And Josh McDaniels comes in and players on the league are saying Josh McDaniels as a head coach doesn't listen to the players. He thinks he knows he, he knows it all. And that, that hasn't worked out for Derek Carr as well. But you just go down and look historically at his nine years as the quarterback of the Raiders and it has been plagued by a by dysfunction. Right. Any. If you want to engage in organizational excellence, it starts with your ownership. And owner Mark Davis is probably better known for his haircut than he is for being an astute owner of an NFL team. Um, poor decisions have been made, and and uh, Derek Carr has seen that over the past nine seasons and wanted to go into a situation that he felt that there was organizational um, organizational stability, and the Saints have that. They have that with Mickey Loomis. They have that with the Benson family. He sees that, and he, he, he likes that. And so he signs his four-year, $150 million deal, with $100 million in total guarantees from the Saints. And he said no to the Jets. And he said no to the Jets in part because he wanted that stability. He wanted to feel wanted. He wanted to be part of a business that is a well-run business. The Saints are a well-run business. The Jets told him that if you sign her, you will have to mentor Zach Wilson. Good luck with that. And everybody knows that the Jets' first choice is Aaron Rodgers. So why would you want to go somewhere where you're considered to be uh, leftovers? Uh, you now, look, there are other reasons why Derek Carr chose the Saints. I mean, they play half their games in a dome. How could you, as a quarterback, how could you not want that? You're going to have the same playing conditions uh, for half of your games of the season. You've got Alvin Kamara. You've got a decent wide receiver core. There's no threat of competition at quarterback. And the other thing for Derek Carr is you're looking around. You're saying, okay, look, if I sign... With the Saints. They've got a higher chance of success, don't I? I'm playing the NFC South. Right? I'm not playing the AFC, I'm playing the NFC South. I'm I'm up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who's their quarterback? Blaine Gabbard. perennial backup quarterback. Uh you got the Carolina Panthers have Sam Darnold, Atlanta Falcons have Desmond Ritter. I mean you're not exactly looking at a star studded division when it comes to quarterbacking, and so Derek Carr immediately becomes the best quarterback in that division but for him it's even better than that because the, the quarterbacks in the in, in the in the AFC are a lot stronger than they are in the NFC you've got in the AFC you've got you got Josh Allen, you have got potentially Tua if he doesn't if he doesn't get Alzheimer's, uh you got you got Joe Burrow, potentially uh, you got Lamar Jackson, uh you've got Trevor Lawrence, you've got Mahomes, Justin Herbert, you've got better quarterbacks in the AFC. And so you look around the NFC and it's like, "Okay, wait a minute." The quarterbacking in the in the NFC is not remotely as strong as it is in the AFC. So again, Derek Carr gives himself a chance for uh, success. I mean, if he had signed with the Jets, what were we looking at? Looking at well in the division with Josh Allen, with Belichick and Jones, and the Patriots, he's got to deal with the rest of the AFC. So I mean, if if you're Derek Carr, this makes this makes perfect sense. Signing with the Saints, you're giving yourself the greatest opportunity at achieving success. You've got the tools, you've, you've got the dome, you've got the weak division, but you also have franchise stability, you have competent people in the right jobs, and you are not dealing with significant massive dysfunction as you were in Oakland. And frankly, with the Jets, they're a much-improved team, but the Johnson family isn't exactly the most stable ownership group in the entire league. They make crazy, wacky decisions. So Derek Carr signing with the Saints makes perfect sense based upon the available options for Derek Carr. Now, the issue for the Saints is, is that a good signing for them? Derek Carr is 32 years old. I would describe him really as a quasi-relevant quarterback over nearly 10 years in the NFL. He's always roughly been the 10th to 20th best quarterback in the league, Um uh, Arguably, look at the statistics, and he has been in decline over the past two years. Although, again, he was playing for a dysfunctional organization. If you look at the numbers, Jameis Winston in 2021 had a better year than Derek Carr had in 2021. Look at the numbers. Andy Dalton last season was statistically better in some respects than Derek Carr was uh, last season. Those things have to be a little bit of a concern. I guess what is a significant concern with Derek Carr is that he is a quarterback quarterback who is a dink and dunk passer and a reluctant deep ball passer who doesn't necessarily shine under pressure. Um, you know, with respect to the deep ball, his stats have been in decline over the past couple of years. And that is Having Devonte Adams in the fold last season. Now, again, you could argue Josh McDaniels made things difficult for him. He'd only had that season with Devonte Adams, and he was learning, you know, how Devonte plays and and trying to work on that chemistry. Although they did play in college together, uh, so you you could argue, you can make those arguments that there are reasons why Derek Carr hasn't, you know, achieved great success. But he's been in the league now for nearly ten years, and when someone shows you who they are, believe it. And here's the thing: if the Saints are looking for an instant upgrade at quarterback. Well, you're looking for a quarterback that can come in and not spend a year getting to know the offense, getting to know the team, and getting to know the players. You want someone who is really good right away. That is unlikely to be Derek Carr. So ultimately, Derek Carr doesn't represent a substantial improvement on predecessor quarterbacks for the Saints. I mean, the gap isn't that big. He's a a dink and dunk passer, a reluctant deep passer who, again, doesn't really shine under pressure. And the metrics and the data suggest that as a replacement quarterback, the Saints aren't likely to get a lot better. But I think what the Saints like here is stability at quarterback. Derek Carr doesn't really get hurt. Derek Carr will play all, if not most, of the games this season. So, They like that, but he he does, if you look at the metrics and the data, appears to be a quarterback in decline. For now, however, with the Saints, he gives them what they need, some level of stability quarterback, a quarterback who doesn't get injured, a quarterback who will play all, if not most, of the games uh, season in, season out. Uh, Is he in New Orleans for the entirety of his contract? Probably not. But again, he gives the Saints what they need. While the gap isn't that big with respect to who he is replacing, um, it gives them some level of peace of mind. And Derek Carr playing in the NFC South, that is the perfect place uh, for him. If if he can't succeed, if Derek Carr cannot succeed in the NFC South, then he can't succeed anywhere. Now let's take a break. When I come back, we will talk about James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks and the Rangers and the Liberty, the WNBA team. He's banned a law firm, all the lawyers at a law firm, 60 plus, from attending any event at Madison Square Garden, which he owns. Of course, that law firm has sued him. I'll let you know what went down and what the judge said, and I love it. I love it because it reminds us the power that owners have over fans you may not like it but they have that power and of course coming up after that is my donald trump loses the week oh and also the highest paid athletes of all time i'll cover that next and the highest paid athlete in 2022 is someone who hasn't played in 20 years i'm eric this is offside on the tsn radio network
1: you know that the gentleman by the name of Eric McRamala, your legal guy, he says, he might not be able to make it for 945 because he is currently stuck in one of our elevators.
0: He knows lot, and he's quite a manabella, oh what a bum and he's quite a manabella, he mows home and a bella, hey,
1: McRamala.
0: I... <laughs> Welcome back to the show that is Offside. I'm your host, Eric Macromella. Welcome to all the listeners listening to Offside, the smash hit show that is Offside, the billions upon billions of people that listen to the show in Edmonton, Ottawa, and Montreal, as well as around the world, and those who pick it up off their preferred podcast uh, platform. More coming up uh, later on the show, my Donald Trump loser of the week, a different kind of Donald Trump loser of the week, a little bit more of an emotional one, also kind of just doing it in a little bit of a uh, different uh, kind of way. Uh, But now I I do want to talk about Larry Hutcher. Larry Hutcher was at a heat game, Miami heat game, and was holding up a a sign. He he put together rather hastily and said, Hey Dolan, a band can't stop this Knicks fan. And so he was at a heat next game and then he had the sign up. And who was Larry Hutcher? Larry Hutcher is a partner at Davidoff, Hutcher and Citron, or as I say, Citron. And um, the entire law firm, was banned by the owner of the Knicks, James Dolan. also owns the Rangers and the WNBA Team Liberty and is widely known as probably the worst owner of all in all of sports. And he bans people on a regular basis. He banned Charles Oakley. He's banned many fans for holding up signs that don't speak that do not speak too kindly about James Dolan. And so this law firm of Davidov, Hutcher and Citron, they've all the lawyers there have been banned. Why? Because they are suing MSG. These types of lawsuits are quite common. Law firms, lawyers suing, you know, different businesses, including sports teams and arenas and all kinds of of lawsuits uh, and potential lawsuits materialize in those circumstances because you're involved a lot of stakeholders and vendors and lots of, you know, inventory not being paid for, on and on, yada, yada, yada. So they sue James Dolan MSG, and then James Dolan bans every lawyer from every single event uh, at MSG. They're not allowed to attend any events. Larry Hutcher, one of the partners says, "Look, I, I paid 18 grand US for 52 million Canadian for season tickets. You can't ban me." So they take him to court. And Larry Hutcher argued before a panel of judges that MSG's blanket ban on the law firm would have what he referred to as a chilling effect on other lawyers who might back down in future from taking clients who were litigating against MSG, against James Dolan, against the Knicks, against the Liberty, against the Rangers, against anybody associated from a business standpoint with James Dolan, because they don't want to be banned from attending any events at MSG. Hutcher said uh, in part, quote, this injunction applies to 60 lawyers in my firm. There are no violent felons. We are not disturbing the peace. This is an attempt to continue to chill lawyers. End quote. In response, what did uh, James Owen's lawyers say? Well, they're like, look, the common law over the past 100 years, and by common law, what they mean is that you don't have these codified statutes that are written. The common law refers to basically a body of unwritten laws based upon legal precedent, and you rely on that precedent when making subsequent decisions. And so the lawyers said, well, look, the common law over the past 100 years has been that there is the absolute authority of the entertainment venue operator to decide who can and can't use their property. A private property owner has a right to say, I don't want to do business with someone who's suing me. That that was Dolan's response, legal response. Now, the court came down and said, "Okay, Hutcher." You can't attend any Knicks games, but you can attend any other events at MSG because they found that that ban was, was too far or was too broad a ban. But from a legal standpoint, James Dolan, whether you like it or not, yeah, he's the worst owner in sports. He accuses everybody of being an alcoholic. He accuses a guy named... Uh, Irvin Bierman, who was like 80-something, wrote a letter to James Dolan saying, you know, he's gonna become a Nets fan because James Dolan is running the Knicks into the ground. And James Dolan, yeah, is the one of the worst owners in sports history. And James Dolan responded, told him to get lost and accused him of being an alcoholic. You know, he had the issue with Charles Oakley, a beloved New York Knicks player. Um, he was... He was escorted out of MSG and then was banned and then James Dolan accused him being an alcoholic. You had some fans out what this one guy outside of MSG who told James Dolan he didn't like him, he got also banned for life and accused of being an alcoholic. So you may not like James Dolan, but the issue here is that the law is on the side of those who own the teams. The basic premise at law is this a ticket to a game is a irrevocable license. That only grants you access to the sports venue, and by revocable license, what I mean is, it's it's permission. The license is a is is permission to access the arena or the stadium, and that access can be revoked by the owner of the premises if they so feel like it. So when you buy a ticket to a Habs game, a Sens game, an Oilers game, a Rangers game, whatever it is, that ticket, all that ticket, grants you access to is the sports venue. And on top of that, because it's private property, they can ban you at any time. Now, this might be different for college where you have stadiums, where you have schools that receive federal uh, subsidies. And in those instances, you could argue, hey, the First Amendment, for example, in the US might apply. That is freedom of, of speech. But that doesn't apply to private businesses. So the Charter and the Constitution, those don't apply in this scenario. So if you go to a game, hold up a sign going, hey, the Canadians suck because they haven't lost enough games and I'm really upset they're not going to have a chance of getting Conor Bedard, well, they can ask you to leave. You say, what about my freedom of expression? The Constitution and the Charter, they are legal instruments that protect citizens against government and government overstepping. It does not apply to private disputes. So you can't rely on the argument that you have every right to express yourself at a game. Again, the ticket is this limited license, and they can revoke that license at any time. So by way of example, back in 2009, Jets fan Carl J. Mayer launched a class action lawsuit against the Patriots, against Belichick, and the NFL on behalf of all New York Jets fans and season ticket holders uh, of the Jets over the Spygate scandal, right? That was the... The, the situation where the um, the uh, the Patriots and Belichick were accused of videotaping signals from the Jets coaches um, and uh, by extension getting this unfair competitive advantage by breaking the rules. And so there was a class action lawsuit that was filed uh, against uh, the Patriots and Belichick and the NFL. And this is not sort of an isolated incident. You see this all the time. There was a, some fans of Louisiana filed a class action lawsuit against Colin Kaepernick. Uh, because he was engaged in the anthem demonstration, you might have a blown pass interference call. We had that Packer Saints game a few years ago, and uh, there was a class action lawsuit filed over there, over that call. So, in that case, there the Spygate uh, cancel uh, scandal, uh, the both the district and appellate court dismissed the case, and they found that simply by virtue of his ticket. Mayor possessed really nothing more than a contractual right to a seat from which to watch an NFL game between the Jets and the Patriots. And that contractual right was honored. He bought the ticket. He was granted access. End of story. The court said this, quote, the uniform weight of established case law holds that a failure to satisfy the subjective expectations of spectators at a sporting event is not actionable under law. End quote. That's it. That's it. It's like there was this there was this legal case a few years ago where there was a, a blown call in an NCAA basketball game. And there was a class action lawsuit filed then. And the courts said the same thing. Look, refs, yes, they suck. They suck a lot of the time. Although I think they do a great job personally. There aren't enough refs and umpires to go around for crying out loud. So treat them well, especially if they have a green armband. Uh, but the court said, look, it was a blown call, but you can't sue the refs. You can't sue the refs. First, if we'd allow you to sue the refs, they'd be sued like on a weekly basis. But on top of that, you're a fan. All you have is a ticket, a ticket to a game. That's it. Nothing more. And all that ticket grants you is access. Not a right to complain and sue, but just access to the game. That is it. So Larry Hutcher, you've been banned from all Knicks games. And unfortunately, I don't think you have a chance. Of getting that uh, overturned james dolan yeah the worst owner in sports but also someone from a legal standpoint has a firm basis to ban you from knicks games all right let's move on to the highest paid athletes of all time and the highest paid athletes in 2022 and i want to start with the highest paid athletes in 2022 okay The, the highest paid active athlete in 2022 Actually, let me give you the the top 10 and beginning at uh, number uh, 10. So Tiger Woods earned $73.5 million in 2022, uh, $65 million of that. So most of that, um, those were uh, endorsement dollars. He made about $8.5 million in salary and winnings, most of it for miniature golf, and then $65 million in in endorsements to take him a little bit over, $73 million. Uh, number nine on that list is James Harden, $40 million in, in in earnings, Salary, earnings, and another thirty-six million in endorsements. Roger Federer, he just made seven hundred twenty-four thousand dollars in twenty twenty-two, his final year, um, and eighty-five million endorsement uh, dollars. Um, tennis players get really great endorsement deals from luxury brands like Rolex and Mercedes. So Roger Federer really reaps the benefit of that. Number seven on the list is Kevin Durant, thirty-seven point nine million in salary and. 48 million dollars in endorsement deals that that to me is a little bit of a surprise that he he got 48 million endorsement dollars you know just given that uh, sometimes he's emotionally unstable but hey some branders love him number six on the list steph curry 41 million in uh, salary and uh, 45 million in endorsement deals number five canelo alvarez uh, he's a boxer, 84 million in winnings, five million in endorsement deals. Number four, Neymar for PSG, 65 million in salary, 38 million in endorsement dollars. Number three, Cristiano Ronaldo, 60 million in salary and 55 million in endorsement deals. Number two on that list, Lionel Messi for PSG. So PSG has two of the top four. Uh, that's Saudi money so anybody who criticizes the lift tour but watches PSG play uh, maybe you want to do your due diligence Lionel Messi or Lionel Messi 72 million in salary and 50 million in endorsement deals number one on the list active athletes LeBron James salary uh of 36.9 million and 90 million in endorsement dollars uh, that is the top that is the very top uh, of the list when it comes to the most amount of money earned by way of endorsement dollars here's the thing lebron james is the highest earner in 2022 among all athletes on the planet he earned 126.9 million dollars when you combine his salary with his endorsement deals messi at 122 million ronaldo 115 million and neymar at 103 million the thing is is that the highest paid athlete is someone who's been retired now been retired For 20 years, the highest paid athlete, active or retired in 2022, is Michael Jordan. LeBron James earned about $127 million in 2022. Michael Jordan, retired 20 years from the NBA, earned $180 million, almost entirely from Nike. The Nike-Jordan partnership was born in 1984 and it it helped turn Nike into this massive global profitable enterprise for Michael Jordan. Nike was earning about nine hundred and twenty million dollars that was in nineteen eighty three Now they are a forty nine billion dollar sportswear giant with a market value of one hundred and eighty seven billion dollars. Michael Jordan has grossed roughly one point eight billion dollars from Nike. That doesn't factor in inflation, since his first deal, negotiated uh, by David Falk, for five hundred grand a year plus royalties, and that's where MJ makes a lot of his money is on the royalties. Uh, it uh, the MJ brand represents seventy-five percent of Michael Jordan's career earnings and the check that he gets every year from Nike continues uh, to balloon. Yeah, he's got deals with Gatorade and Hanes and Upper Deck and 2K Sports, but nothing financially touches his deal with Nike. If memory serves, I think there's going to be a movie with Ben Affleck uh, who's going to play Nike co-founder Phil Knight, uh, and Matt Dame is going to play Sonny Vaccaro, uh, a legend in the basketball sneaker game. And the movie's entitled Air, and it's going to be about Uh, about recruiting uh, Michael Jordan to Nike. And at that time, Michael Jordan was a reluctant recruit. He wasn't necessarily something that he wanted uh, to do. These earnings with Nike are reflected in Michael Jordan's overall earnings. Uh, Sportico.com via Kurt Badenhausen, who used to be a colleague of mine at Forbes, um, he has published a list of the top 50 highest-paid athletes of all time. So the highest-paid athletes of all time. Adjusted for inflation, so in real dollars and the top 10 there are as follows Phil Mickelson at 1.36 billion Roger Federer at 1.38 billion Floyd Mayweather at 1.41 billion he has his own production company and is also his own manager so he doesn't lose money by way of commission to those who set up the fights because he sets them up number 7 uh, Lionel Messi at 1.48 billion LeBron James at number 6 1.53 billion Cristiano Ronaldo at one point five eight billion, and then your top four: Jack Nicholas, one point six, Arnold Palmer at one point seven, Tiger Woods at two point five, and top of that list is Michael Jordan at three point three billion dollars. Uh, Michael Jordan has owned three. He's he's earned adjusted for inflation three point three billion dollars. Again, a lot of that is by way of his deal with Nike. But this discussion that's really fascinating uh, relates to. The, the, the Q scores of athletes in the U.S. So the Q score basically reflects the extent to which the American public is aware and positively so of an athlete. And so you get these Q score ratings. So Cristiano Ronaldo is at his Q score is 19 and Jerry Rice is his score is 19 and Shaq is 20 and Shaq is beloved and Joe Burrow is at 22 and Steph Curry, who seems to be like the nicest guy in the world, is at his Q score is 22. And Messi's at 26. Mahomes is at 26. Biles is at 26. And Michael Jordan is at 26. And that's just fascinating because, again, he's been retired for 20 years. 20 years. We don't remember what happened 20 years ago. 20 years ago, Titanic won a bunch of Oscars and Bill Clinton was impeached. That's how long ago it was. Despite that, Michael Jordan is the highest earner of any athlete in history. And earned the most of anybody last year. And Americans are more familiar with him when it comes to athletes than any other athlete on the planet. That is absolutely fascinating and a testimonial to the symbiotic, synchronous relationship between Michael Jordan and Nike, right? It's not just a situation where you sign a player to an endorsement deal. And the brand owner reaps that benefit. This was the symbiotic relationship where Nike made elevated Michael, the Michael Jordan brand and the Michael Jordan person and Michael Jordan elevated the Nike brand. They worked together so beautifully. And this is the result. Someone who hasn't played in the NBA since 2003 and has earned more than anybody since then including last year. All right, let's take a break. Uh, Coming up next is my Donald Trump Loser of the Week. This week it is something a little bit different, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, you uh, enjoy it. Uh, That is coming up next. I'm Eric Macromyle, and this is Offside on the TSN Radio Network. They're losers. They're just losers.
1: Suffers from a thing called loser's remorse. She lost. Well, Rosie's a loser. She's always been a loser. We have losers. We have losers. And Cher is somewhat of a loser. She's lonely. She's unhappy. Look, Glenn's a loser. Okay, just so you understand. This guy's a serious loser.
0: Welcome back to the show that is Offside. I'm your host, Eric Macromello. Welcome to listeners in Ottawa, Edmonton, and in Montreal, as well as those who pick up the show via their preferred podcast platform. Well, you heard the music, so it's time for my Donald Trump Loser of the Week. Uh, This week is not a person. My Donald Trump Loser of the Week this week is cancer. Um, I lost my dad to prostate cancer on April seventeenth, two 2007. He never got a chance to meet his grandkids. Most recently, uh, my wife lost her mom uh, to cancer as well. And this is not isolated uh, to us by any means. Uh, Cancer is the second leading cause of death worldwide. Ten million people will die of cancer uh, every year. In Canada, two in five Canadians are expected to develop cancer in their lifetime, and one out of four Canadians are expected to die from cancer. But I thought, you know what? What, though, while cancer is insidious and it is cruel and has destroyed so many lives, I thought we could take this moment, take this moment, to air something incredibly inspirational and incredibly uplifting, and that is Jimmy Valvano's speech. On March 4th, 1983, the very first ESPYs, where he was the winner and recipient of the Arthur Ashe Courage and Humanitarian Award. And at that ESPYs ceremony, he gave his famous don't give up, don't ever give up speech. And so I thought, hey, let's play because it has been 30 years now, 30 years since he gave one of the most moving speeches you will ever hear anywhere. And because it's been 30 years, a lot of new people haven't heard it haven't heard of Jimmy V and haven't heard of this amazing speech. So given that cancer is my Donald Trump loser of the week, and given that it's been 30 years since a cancer stricken Jimmy Valvano gave this incredible speech, here is Jimmy V's speech in its entirety. And by the way, Jimmy V died from cancer about a month later. I'm Eric Macromel and this has been offside on the TSN radio network.
1: Uh, I can't tell you, what an honor it is to even be mentioned the same breath with an Arthur Ashe. Um, this is something I certainly will, will treasure forever. But as, as uh, was said on the tape, I, and I also I don't have one of those things going with the cue cards, so I'm going to speak longer than anybody else has spoken tonight. That, that's the way it goes. Time, time is very precious to me. I don't know how much... I have left and I have some things that I would like to say, hopefully at the end, I'll have something that will be uh, important to, uh, to other people too. But I can't help it, now when I'm fighting cancer, everybody knows that, uh, and people ask me all the time about how you, you go through your life and how's your day, and nothing has changed for me, as Dick said, I'm a very emotional, passionate man, I can't help it, that's being the son of Rocco and Angelina Valvano, that you comes with the territory. Right, we hug, we kiss, we love. And, and when people say to me, how do you get through uh, life or, or each day is the same thing? To me, there are three things we all should do every day. If We do this every day of our life. You're gonna have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think, you should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears, could be happiness or joy. But think about it, if you laugh, you think, and you cry that's a full day that's a heck of a day you do that seven days a week you're gonna have something special and so i can't help i rode on the plane up today with mike sheshevsky my my good friend and a wonderful coach but people don't realize he's a 10 times better person than he is a coach and we know he's a great coach he's meant a lot to me in these last five or six months of my battle. But when I look at Mike, I think we competed against each other as players. I coached against him for 15 years. And I always have to think about what's important in life is to th- think to me of three things, where you started, where you are, and where you're gonna be. Those are the three things that I try and do every day. And you know, when I think about getting up and giving a speech, I can't help it. I have to remember the first speech I ever gave. I was coaching at Rutgers University. That was my first job. Oh, I, oh that's a, wonderful. And I was the freshman coach. That's when freshmen played on freshman team. And I was so fired up about my first job. I see Lou Holtz, Coach Holtz here. What was it like the first job you had, right? The very first time you stood in the locker room to give a pep talk. That's a special place, the locker room, for a coach to give a talk. So my idol as a coach was Vince Lombardi. And I read this book called Commitment to Excellence by Vince Lombardi. And in the book, Lombardi talked about the first time he spoke before his Green Bay Packer team in a locker room. They were perennial losers. And I'm reading this, and Lombardi said he was thinking, should it be a long talk, a short talk? But he wanted to be emotional, he said be brief. And this is what he did. He, he, normally, you get in a locker room, I don't know, 25 minutes, a half hour before the team takes the field. You do your little X and O's, and then you give the great Newt Rockety talk. We all do. Speech number 84. You pull them right out. You get, you get ready. Get your squad ready. Well, this is the first one I ever gave. And I read this thing, Lombardi, what he said was, he didn't go in. He waited. His team was wondering, where is he? Where is this great coach? He's not there. Ten minutes, he's still not there. Three minutes before us to take the field, Lombardi comes in, bangs the door open, and I think you all remember what great presence he had, right? Great presence. And he walked in, and he just walked back and forth like this, just staring at the players. And he said, all eyes on me. I'm reading this in this book, and I'm getting a picture of this Lombardi before the, his first game. And he said, gentlemen, we will be successful this year. You can focus on three things and three things only. Your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers. And, he, and the rest of it, they knocked the walls down. The rest was history. I said, that's beautiful. I'm going to do that. Your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball. That's it. I had it. I'm, listen, I'm 21 years old. The kids I'm coaching are 19. All right, and, I, and I'm gonna be the greatest coach in the world the next Lombardi. And I'm ready, and I'm practicing out, in i right, right, right beside the locker room. The, the manager's telling me, you gotta go in, not yet, not yet. Family, religion, Rutgers basketball. All eyes on me, I got it, I got it. And now finally he said, three minutes. I said, fine, true story. I go to knock the doors open, just like Lombardi. Boom, He didn't open. <laughs> I almost broke my arm, I was like, you know, it was one that didn't open. Now I'm down, the players are looking, you know, coach, get, uh, help the coach up, help them up. You know, and now I did like Lombardi. I walked back and forth, right? And I was going like that with my arm, get the feeling back in it. And finally, I said, gentlemen, all eyes, on me." these kids wanted to play, they're 19, let's go. I said, gentlemen, we'll be successful this year. If you can focus on three things and three things only. They said, yeah. I said, your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. I remember that. I remember, I remember where I came from. It's so important to know where you are. And I know where I am right now. How do you go from where you are to where you want to be? And I think you have to have an enthusiasm for life. You have to have a dream, a goal. You have to be willing to work for it. I talked about my family. My family is so important. People think I have courage. The courage of my family is my wife, Pam, my three daughters here, Nicole, Jamie, Leanne, my mom, who is right here, too, and... And, and that screen is flashing up there, 30 seconds, like, I care about that screen right now, huh? I got, I, got, I got tumors all over my body. I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds, huh? You got a laugh, hey, panabla, buddy. You gotta laugh. <laughs> I got a laugh. All right, I just got one last thing. I urge all of you, all of you, to enjoy your life, the precious moments you have, to spend each day with some laughter and some thought, to get your emotions going, to be enthusiastic every day, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm to keep your dreams alive in spite of problems, whatever you have, to be able to work hard for your dreams to, become, to come true, become a reality. Now I, I look at where I, I am now and I know what I want to do. What I would like to be able to do is to spend whatever time I have left and to give in maybe some hope to others. All right, Arthur Ashe Foundation is a wonderful thing. And, and AIDS, the, the, the amount of money pouring in for AIDS is not enough, but it is significant. But if I told you it's 10 times the amount that comes in for cancer research, I'd also tell you that 500,000 people will die this year of cancer. And I'd also tell you that one in every four will be afflicted with this disease. And yet, for somehow, we seem to have put it in a little bit of the backbone. I want to bring it back on the front table. We need your help. I need your help. We need money for research. It may not save my life. It may save my children's lives. It may save someone you love. And it's very important. And ESPN has been so kind to support me in this endeavor and allow me to announce tonight that with ESPN's support, which means what, their, 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 their money, and their dollars, that they're helping me, we are starting the Jim, Jimmy V. Foundation for Cancer Research. And it's, and its motto is, don't give up, don't ever give up. And that's what I'm going to try to do. Every minute that I have left, I will thank God for the day and the moment I have. And if you see me, smile and maybe give me a hug, because that's important to me too. But try, if you can, to support, whether it's AIDS or the Cancer Foundation, so that, that someone else might survive might prosper and might actually be cured of this dreaded disease i can't thank espn enough for allowing this to happen and i'm going to work as hard as i can you know for cancer research and hopefully we'll be maybe we'll have some cures and some breakthroughs and i'd like to think i'm going to fight my brains out to be back here again next year for the Arthur Ashe recipient i want to give it next year I know I've got to go, I've I've got to go, and I've got one last thing, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again, cancer can take away all my physical abilities, it cannot touch my mind, it cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul, and those three things are going to carry on forever, I thank you and God bless you all.